Hello, Timberlake. I got a rental car and drove all the way down from South Puget Sound, uh, so it's great to spend the weekend with you. My name's Rick. If, uh, if you're a guest, we want to welcome you. We are excited about this final uh, little stretch of time here we get to spend talking about greatness. And then at all campuses this weekend, we're going to end our time in a celebration of communion. So we'll have that coming in just a few minutes, and uh, it'll be a great way to sort of cap off uh, this particular series. In talking to Ben, I said, hey, you're going to do a man series. Uh, that's going to be awesome. And, uh, you know, he said, we don't want you to have any part of that, Rick. So, like, you know, I'm, I've come this time. So they were afraid of that. So, uh, But we all want to talk to you about greatness in the sense of um, by doing something great, uh, we are... Uh, Assuming that we're interested in greatness, and also uh, want to talk about the fact that we are following greatness uh, when we decide to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, it was pretty easy to figure out who was following Jesus when he was actually here on the earth during three and a half years of ministry, public ministry, because Jesus would walk by, and then you'd say, There's Jesus, and then a bunch of people were behind him. You go, And those are, look at those people are following him. It's a little more difficult now that uh, we are uh, invited to follow Jesus and be directed by the Holy Spirit, which is not quite such a visual medium. And so when we follow Jesus Christ, we're following greatness. And uh, it's, I think, an important thing for us to think about. Let me ask you this question. Uh, if you were to identify the most dominant theme, the big idea behind Jesus in all of his sermons, his public ministry, when he, when he spoke to people, uh, all over that little part of the Middle East during those three and a half years, uh, what would you say? What would you say was his number one theme, the thing he was always conversing? And I know that many of you have notes, and so you already kind of jumped ahead, and you, uh, you have the, you know, the, the savvy answer there. But when you ask people without notes, the number one answer is love. People say that's what Jesus was about. He's about love, because he did speak about love. In fact, they asked Jesus, what's the most important law? You know, what's the most important thing in the law and the prophets in the Old Testament, the old part of the Bible? And he said, I'll tell you what it is. Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, all the rest of the commands, the hundreds of different sort of rules, all hang on this idea, this ethic of love. So Jesus did talk about love. But love doesn't get you killed. Like, if Jesus was just a love guy, I don't think the Romans had a problem with that. Hey, you know... Really enjoy the love guy. He's really helping us out there and helping people love each other. And then, you know, the Jewish religious leaders would have said, oh, yeah, go for it, love man. You know, just great. Just we should all love each other. That's not really a controversial topic. So Jesus talked about love, but we'd have to say it this way. His, his, uh, his emphasis on love or the ethic of love was couched or nested in a more uh, dominant theme, which is sort of like what you call the mega narrative or, you know, the big picture of what he was talking about. And it was this thing called the kingdom of God. In fact, there's a... A great author, uh, the late Dallas Willard, just died in 2013. He was a, a professor of philosophy at USC, as well as a great theologian. I recommend any of his writings. He wrote, in the late 90s, he actually wrote one of the most amazing books that I just keep rereading uh, every couple of years. It's called The Divine Conspiracy, and it's a great book. But any, any book by Dallas Willard, I mean, it's really incredibly uh, uh, awesome gift to us who are followers of Christ. And this is what Dallas said, and he's not alone. If you had to summarize in a single phrase the gospel that Jesus preached, it would be the kingdom of God. And if you uh, have a chance to read other theologians, people that are Jesus-centric, you know, they're really talking about who Jesus was. It could be uh, Dr. Chap Clark. He's a kingdom guy, Right? 
You talk about uh, Gordon Fee, who's a great theologian who wrote a lot of commentaries, and especially for in contemporary times, and uh, was a professor at Regent and uh, Gordon-Conwell Seminary. And Gordon would say, the kingdom of God is the primary theme in Jesus' ministry. So uh, th- these guys who are, are you know, given to studying the, the ministry of Jesus and looking at his life in the context of Palestine and in the original Greek and Aramaic language that he spoke, he said That's, this is what he was talking about. And some of us that are more casual students of the Bible, we still recognize this theme, even if uh, you know, we just have kind of been uh, kicking the tires on Christianity, we've heard about this. Because there's a, a prayer, um, you might remember our, the Lord's Prayer is what it's called. It's actually kind of the follower's prayer. But it, our Father which art in heaven, right? These guys said to Jesus, hey, teach us how to pray. Jesus said, when you pray, say this, our Father in heaven, hallowed or, or uh, holy or set apart is your name. Like there's nobody like you. You're incomparable, right? Then he said, you should pray this, your kingdom come and your will be done right here, just like it is in heaven. So there's that idea of the kingdom again. And then Jesus did a very famous speech called the Sermon on the Mount, some people have uh, titled it that, where it had all these people, and he started out with these, these uh, kind of famous sayings that uh, are called the Beatitudes, but you know, the, these sayings that, hey, blessed are the poor, or the poor in spirit, right? For theirs is the kingdom, right? And he went on to say, blessed are the meek, and all these different things. And then he said, like, a lot of people are getting uptight about what they're wearing, or what they're eating, or you know, how they're going to make it through life. And Jesus said, don't worry about that. He had this famous line, seek first the kingdom. And then all these things will fall into place. That are, the priority for us is to be seeking God's kingdom. So if this is the predominant theme of the ministry of Jesus Christ, it's kind of important for us to know what he was talking about. Because, see, we don't live in sort of a monarchy, right? I mean, our whole setup is not really the king, you know, and the kingdom. I mean, the only thing royal in our culture is sort of like Burger King and Dairy Queen, you know? I mean, we sort of reduced royalty to fast food. But, uh, so we don't have any idea about someone who's sovereign. But in those days, it was a, it was a great, great metaphor. And the king, if you're the, if you're the king of a realm, and I think most of us would know more about kingdoms from, uh, you know, Game of Thrones than we would from, you know, uh, our daily lives. But if you're the king of a realm, you own everything. I mean, people might have a farm that they're working, but that's your farm. And they're, they're, uh, they're working that on your behalf, and you're supposed to be there to protect and to provide, but you can just replace them anytime you want. And, and there's an incredible movie that, uh, it's been years now, but it was a remarkable film. I had a chance to review it before it came out, and it was called The Madness of King George. Anybody see that movie? It was about King George of England who kind of lost his mind when the, uh, this group of colonies you know, uh, said to him, Hey, we're going to be independent. You don't tell a king what you're going to do. The king tells you what to do. And he kind of lost his mind. It's a really interesting film. Um, I watched it in England, actually, the first time I saw it. And everybody in, in England laughed like 50 times throughout the film. And I had no idea. Like, what's so funny? You know, because it's very English. But they get the monarchy thing. You know, the, the, one line in that movie is that, uh, you know, monarchy and lunacy are really closely linked, you know, that kind of thing. And they get the idea that, you know, when you're the king, but in that movie, you couldn't look at the king. When somebody came in, they would put their head down and they would talk to the, you know, the king's assistant. If it pleased the king, we would like to do, you know, and then this guy would say, if it pleased the king, you know, he would talk to the king and then you would talk to him and, and then you'd have to back out. You would never turn your back on the king. It was this incredible sense of awe and, and sovereignty and authority. So that's what Jesus was talking about. And these people understood that. And when they're talking about seek first the kingdom, as Jesus said that, it kind of makes us think, well, what do you mean I have to 
see, I have to find it. What if, what if it's hidden? What if I can't find it? Have you ever tried to find something? You're seeking for something. You're like, I'm, what if I don't find God? What if I'm seeking greatness, you know, in God and I don't, I don't know where it is? Well, the good news is that God hides about as well as these kids I played hide and seek with last week. This is a picture of a two-year-old and a four-year-old. This is two. The, the, the guy on the left, is, he's two. He put a blanket over himself in the middle of the room. And the four-year-old was a lot craftier. He had a mask on, you know, like a superhero mask. So that right there, you know, kind of hides him. But then the pillow, he's just totally, you know, he's, he's totally feeling safe. And I thought it was so funny because when I was playing with these little guys, uh, you know, I would be standing right next to them. And I'd be, I'm not sure I can, I know where they are. And they would all start laughing, right? And I thought, this is, this is how God hides from us, right? When he says, seek the kingdom, because what Jesus said was this, if you seek, what will happen? Seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be open. I mean, like, God's not trying to hide. He, he wants us to follow greatness. He wants us to understand that we can live our lives in what he calls the kingdom. And, of course, the kingdom is really just God's powerful, sovereign presence in our world. It's what God is up to. That's the kingdom. And God is always up to greatness. So I think it's important that we can learn a few things about greatness if we look at the kingdom. So the first thing I wanted to uh, identify, and you can fill this in on your notes, is that the greatness has actually arrived. That was Jesus' message. Very interesting verse um, in the first part of Mark. Um, and Mark is one of the stories about the life of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four different stories about the life of Jesus from four different eyewitness authors to four different audiences. So there's kind of, they're a little bit unique, but they tell the same story. And uh, Mark says, and his is the uh, oldest and uh, shortest uh, story of the life of Christ. He said after John was put in prison, so his, his story of, of, of the life of Jesus starts out with John, Jesus' first cousin, who came and announced that, that you know, the promise was coming, Right? And John was kind of this crazy Eastern Washington guy, you know, he ate bugs and kind of lived out in Pasco or something, you know what I mean? Like, he was kind of, you know, remote cat, and people were really fascinated with him because he was so passionate about the fact that God, you know, was, God was going to do something great. And then he was put in prison because he started uh, telling the truth about some people that were uh, government officials and uh, the people that were in charge, and they said, well, forget that, you know, that's bad PR, so they put him in prison. Now... It said, after John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, and this is, it means he, he traveled up near the Sea of Galilee, and, uh, and this was the, the, the message that Mark says, this, this is what he talked about. The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. That's the ministry of Jesus Christ. And in fact, uh, Luke goes on to say that people in Galilee said, just stay here, stay here. And Jesus said, nope, I'm here to teach the kingdom to all these different cities. So it was actually, he said, this is the purpose for which I've come. It was like his mission statement was the kingdom of God, teaching people the good news of the kingdom. And it's very interesting. So we have to realize that he was saying that greatness or God's kingdom has arrived. Have you ever tracked a package? How many, most of us do that, right? We order something online and then we're thinking, where is that thing, right? And then you can track it. And so you see, oh, it left the manufacturer. Oh, it's in route. It's in transit. It's in federal way, you know, or something like that. And then you can go like, it's, it's marked for delivery today. Well, that little phrase, okay, that little phrase in that, in that uh, message that Jesus had, the time has come. Some verses, some translations of that original say, the time is fulfilled 
See, there were guys that were saying, these old prophet guys, Ezekiel and Isaiah, they were saying from way back, hundreds of years, greatness is coming. And they were tracking it. You know, they were saying, this is, this is how you're going to know it. And they, they talk about what, what it'll look like when greatness arrives. They say, uh, the deaf will hear, the blind will see, the lame will walk, the dead will rise. That's what greatness looks like. And it's on its way. It's on its way. So these Old Testament prophets were always saying, just get, be ready because, you know, get ready because we're tracking this thing. And Jesus shows up and he goes, hey, it's on the porch. It's arrived. Time is here. Greatness is here. The time is now for God to offer you a chance to be a part of what he's doing in this world. God is taking the world which is broken and he's putting it back together. God is taking what's wrong and making it right. And the Bible calls that justice. A hundred times the Bible uses the word justice. In most cases, in a lot of Bibles we read, it gets, it gets uh, translated righteousness, right? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's the same word for justice. It means something that's just not right. I have a good friend from Gig Harbor. Her son uh, did not survive uh, the war in Afghanistan. And when she uh, got involved in that, she realized that all the, the guys that were coming back with uh, PTSD and they were struggling to you know, kind of re-enter and they were just they were really caving in. A lot of them were attempting and committing suicide. She realized that it's just not right how that works that these guys are not being treated like they should. The only, the only kind of therapy they were offered was pharmaceutical. And so she started a whole new thing. She's in her fifth year now. Alternative therapies, canine therapy, equine therapy, all kinds of therapies that don't, you know, that, that don't uh, sort of uh, add to your misery, but that give you a chance to walk out of it. They've partnered with a group um, that are, are building prosthetics for people that have come back. And it's just a remarkable thing. And I asked her the other day, Leslie, why did you do this? She said, because it's ju- it was just not right. That's justice. She's saying that, you know, that something has to happen. She's involved in kingdom work. And so are you. When you identify something that's just not right, it's not right that someone should be treated that way. It's not right that these people should be marginalized. It's not right that we should do the same work and we don't get the same compensation. It's not right that there, you know, that anything that we, that we observe, we go, this is wrong. And then we get involved. We're the agents of the kingdom. That's greatness. That's what Jesus said. And he said, the time has come. Here we are. We're here. Redmond wants to know where greatness is right here. This is it. We're on the porch. Like it's, it's, we're not waiting for it anymore. In fact, this is very interesting. John, right, the crazy Eastern Washington guy, he's in jail. He actually says, and you can check this out if you want to read the story of Jesus' life. He calls one of his buddies over in, in, while he's in jail, and he says, hey, listen, could you go ask Jesus a question? You know, he's my cousin, you know. So. And I think John the whole time was thinking, I won't be in here long. You know, I don't know if you know my cousin. He's God. Uh, you know, he'll come and he's going to bust me out of here. You know, we're going to do some stuff. You know, it's going to be great. And so John was in prison and he kept staying in prison. And so he called one of his friends and said, could you go ask Jesus, are you serious? Like, are you the real deal? I thought you were like the God almighty greatness guy. And I don't know if you know, but I'm over here in jail. And his friend went and found Jesus and said, hey, John wants to know if you're the Messiah. Like he's suddenly he's kind of wondering if you're like all powerful or not. And you know what Jesus said? He said, you tell John this. The deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk, the dead rise. You tell him that. And he was quoting what John knew very well, which was a description from the old prophets of what it was like when the Messiah comes. And John gets that word and he goes, 
okay. So yeah, like, man, you know, he's the real deal. But where is he? And most of you know what happened to John. They had a wild party and uh, they called for his head. They cut his head off like ISIS style, you know, like those hideous, you know, internet videos that we've seen. And, and they brought his head into this banquet and he was killed and broke Jesus' heart. But see, it's a very weird tension that we live in that God is all-powerful and that greatness has arrived. But somebody I love has cancer. So where's God? If somebody I love is, is you know, is uh, off on some kind of spiral of addiction, where's, if God is so great, why is the world so messed up? See, John is thinking the same thing. Hey, what's going on here? You know, hey, Mr. Greatness, you know, what about me? And we live in this world where it, there's this incredible tension with God making putting back his kingdom or his sovereign rule, but we have to live in the reality that uh, it's not done yet, that it's in process. It's very difficult to do. But the Bible tells us that when, even when, we're in jail, we can trust that God is at work. And I, I just think it's important for us to, to, to say that because maybe you're in jail tonight, you know, and uh, that does not minimize God's work in this world, but it doesn't make it any easier to be there, does it? And so it's important for us to realize that, that it has arrived. And so Jesus was basically saying, this is the part that got him killed right here, actually, his message. It, it, you know, everybody was cool with this, like, hey, God's arrived. Well, they were thinking, man, maybe we don't agree with that. But here's what he said. So stop going the way you're going. Repent. Right? Don't go that way. Well, which way were people going? To religion. People were going through this religious exercise, and Jesus said, okay, you guys are walking toward religion. What you want to do is turn around and walk toward God. And he discounted religion. And it was religion that killed him. It's people that said, hey, you, you know, you're messing up our whole program here, dude. Like, we got this thing all wired. You know, everything's great. You know, uh, this is how we pay the bills. And, you know, and uh, you, can, you can tell that uh, that's when they started plotting and meeting and having meetings. And they met, and they, they were trying to decide, how do we kill this guy? But God's greatness had arrived. And that's, that's his, Jesus' ministry, really, in a nutshell. The second thing is greatness starts small. Jesus began to tell all kinds of stories about the kingdom so that if we can kind of understand it. The kingdom is like, the kingdom is like. A lot of his stories were all about the kingdom. So he wanted people to understand it. So I'm just going to give you a couple quick ones here. He told them this parable or this story. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Some of you might have just been planting your garden recently, right? And uh, the mustard seed is a tiny little plant, a seed, but it grows into a huge plant. And it's the smallest of seeds, but when it grows, it becomes the largest of garden plants. It actually becomes like a tree that birds would perch in its branches. So what's Jesus trying to say there? He's trying to say, look, the kingdom starts out with little tiny things. Little tiny things. Little things are a big deal in the kingdom. Now, you know what people were expecting when God showed up? You know, they were saying, oh, yeah, the prophets are saying, you know, someday God's going to show up. It's going to be a big deal. There's going to be save the dates. I mean, there's going to be like, it's going to be formal. You know, there's going to be a huge band. I mean, you know, you just, you can't imagine, you know, the celebration. And then God shows up. And people go like, what are you talking about? You're saying God showed up? Yeah, how did he show up? Well, pregnant teenager, born in a barn, lived as a peasant, you know, wrong. That's not God. See, their idea was that God had to do something huge. And Jesus said, nope, the kingdom's like this. The tiniest seed goes in the ground. That becomes 
something you can't imagine. The proportion between you know, the seed and the plant is, is remarkable, but it starts out very, very small. So when we're involved in greatness, what does it look like? Handshake, smile, kind word, preferring one another, paying attention. Those are big deals in God's work. That changes the world. Small things are a big deal because they become relationships and opportunities, and they become uh, the way we live out the greatness as we follow Jesus. So do not discount what you're involved in. Don't say, well, you know, I'm not a big deal because I don't have one of these microphone gizmos up here, you know, like Rick and Ben jumping around, you know. That's not it. That's, we, we get totally fooled. This is not kingdom stuff right here, right? This is a timeout so we can kind of just be reminded of what Jesus said. And the kingdom is every day of our lives, you know, just as we walk and we try to see what is God up to in the world that I live in, and I want to participate in that. And it starts, it's always small, but that's not how it stays. And then last thing Jesus said is, uh, greatness is a joyful discovery. He told this other story, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Okay, and when this guy found it, he hid it again. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? And then in joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Wow, this is a pretty cool story, but one of the things that uh, seems strange about this is that, you know, there's a treasure buried in a field in the first place, right? But we had a chance uh, to go to Africa, and we were in Zambia, uh, sort of southern Africa, and we were trying to help some folks do some things, and we wanted to compensate them, you know, for their time. So we found out, you know, like what would be appropriate, and we, you know, we paid them for, for the effort that they gave in this project we were doing. And you know what they did? They went out and buried it. And so we said to Wango, what, what, what are you doing that for? <laughs> and he said, because if somebody finds out that I have actual like, cash you know, on me, uh, that would kill me for it. Or if they found out that I had cash in my house, they, you know, they'd rob our house. But if I bury it somewhere, nobody knows where it is. And so that's not worth you know, the effort. Like, we don't know where it went. Well, back in antiquity, that was not uncommon at all. I mean, there's no safe deposit boxes or banks or you know, strong boxes. There's nothing like that. So if I'm in a village back in the old, you know, pre-Bible days, and all of a sudden they say, hey, listen, this enemy is on the border. They're going to try to, you know, take, take our village, and we got to defend it, and, you know, all the guys, here we go, let's do this thing. And so we'd all take off. Before we left, we'd bury everything valuable, okay, in case we didn't come back. Because there's a chance that, you know, it didn't work. You know, we weren't that uh, great at defending, and then all of a sudden here comes, you know, the enemy, and they burn everything down and steal all the people, but they can't find our stuff. And later on, you know, we hope to make it back. Well, it's not uncommon in antiquity for people to never make it back. So then years later, there's some guy working the ground, you know, he's going to put his potatoes in or whatever, and all of a sudden he's, you know, he's digging along and tink! He's like, what in the world? And he uncovers a treasure. So then he covers it up again, and he goes and he says, I'm very interested in buying this field. This field, the potato yield just seems remarkable to me. You know, like, because he knows there's a, there's a treasure and that's, that was a, when Jesus told this story, I mean, you know, people were thinking, hey, that happened to my uncle. You know, I mean, the, people knew this, this. So he was saying, is, what he's saying is that, listen, with God in charge, with, with living our lives based on following greatness, there is nothing more valuable than we could do. If we take all of our other ideas and, and lose them in order to participate in what God is doing in our world, that's the most valuable thing we could ever do. And so he was telling that story. He was saying that God has a, a joyful surprise 
In fact, it says, in his joy. Okay, we don't have time to go into that, but let me tell you, that word joy is amazing. Okay, in his joy, the guy's so excited. Joy. Now, in the Greek language, joy is a, is a little word called kara, C-H-A-R-A, kara, right? But if you put, if you take that word joy and you say charity, which is the root word of kara, that's love, right? If you say charisma, you know, we've heard that as somebody who's charismatic, that's gift. If you say Eucharist, which is the Lord's Supper, right, that's thanksgiving. So if you say charis, that's grace. So just from kara, joy, comes grace, love, gift, thanksgiving. The, the center of everything that we're doing in God's kingdom is joy. When someone experiences love, at the center of love is joy. The center of giftedness is joy. At the center of thanksgiving is joy. And the Bible says here that when, when this particular guy realized that there's a treasure in this field, he was overcome with joy. And that's, that's the driving motivation behind a kingdom person, a joyful life. And, uh, and so I think it's important for us to understand that. Now, I happened to grow up as a church kid. You know, I grew up Pentecostal, okay, crazy holy roller type guy. You know, that's my family. Now, maybe you didn't grow up. Like, say if I had grown up, uh, say, Muslim, I'd be able to say, here's my, here's my prayer uh, carpet, right? I could show you that. Or if I'd grown up, uh, maybe, uh, say I'd grown up Catholic, then I'd say, hey, here's my rosary, right? Or if I'd grown up Greek Orthodox, I'd say, hey, here's an icon of one of the church, you know, saints. But instead, I grew up Pentecostal, and I can just show you casseroles, you know, because our big thing was to eat. You know, that was like our number one thing. Um, you know, it was the only, <laughs> the only vice allowed. We couldn't dance, play cards, have fun, but we could eat. So we just had like this joyful, uh, you know, morbid obesity, you know, issue. So, uh, so that's, that's kind of how I grew up. But it's tough. You know, some of you might be a bachelor. I don't know if you're a bachelor, but back in the day when I was a bachelor, we were having a church picnic, and I'm thinking, okay, great, you know, okay, I got to bring, you know. A, something, you know, to eat for the picnic. So this is my bachelor, you know, kitchen. It wasn't too set up. I didn't have the mad culinary skills going at that time. So I walk in there, and here's a classic moment, you know, where I got a, there's a bread bag, and it's got two heels in it. That's, that's when you know you're, you're down at the bottom, right? I mean, because you always go past the first heel. Don't want that. Don't want that. Don't want that. And all of a sudden, there's two of them. So I pull them out, and they're like ceramic tiles, you know, and I, I put them there, and I'm thinking, okay, and then I, you know, I, I'm looking around for some kind of, you know, condiments, and I think, well, I got some, like, uh, I got some mustard, you know, that I got from Jack in the Box four years ago, so I put it, like, on there, and uh, then I'm thinking, okay, open the, there's, I have one piece of deli meat, and I'm, and I'm doing something like penicillin culturing over here on this edge, so, you know, take that away, but, you know, it's starting to curl. I don't know if you know this, but uh, early warning device for uh, deli meat, it, when it starts to curl, it's like, warning, you know, but so I took it out, put it on there, you know, and I put that in there and I'm thinking, okay, so I open the drawer and pour out a bunch of bolts. I bought Home Depot and put that in the old Home Depot bag and I'm off to the picnic, right? And you can imagine yourself sitting there and you're thinking, okay, and I sit down on the grass, you know, and take my Home Depot bag and tear it open to make a placemat, hmm? Pinterest that. And uh, so, <laughs> and I look next to me and here's his family, okay, this just wonderful, kind woman, and she's, she's got a big, big, huge checkered tablecloth. She's laying it out there. And then she brings that fried chicken, just, you know, and the corn on the cob, you know, and, and how many of you are hungry right now? You know, like, and, uh, uh, and, you know, and just all this incredible, like, mashed potatoes and, and macaroni salad, you know, and she's a big, huge pitcher of iced tea and an apple pie. It's all sitting there. I'm sitting there with my sandwich, you know. <laughs> and then she looks over and says, hey, hey, 
Yeah, yeah. Let's share. And I'm thinking, I know what you want. You want my sandwich, don't you? No, I mean, are you kidding? How, like how you know, dim would I be to think when, when she said that, that she's talking about what I have, right? I mean, this thing would become like a Frisbee, you know? I mean, it would just be like, okay, hey, never mind this, you know, because offered this. You see, that's the thing. That's what Jesus came to tell us is that God is saying to us, he wants to share greatness. And when God says to us, let's share, he's not talking about what we have. Oh, you want my boat. You want my, you know. No, he just, it's what God has. It's God's endeavor. And when we realize the, the greatness that we get to participate in as we follow Jesus, what we have becomes, you know, something that we're not at all worried about walking away from when we participate in the greatness of God. So we, we experience and we do great things by following the greatness that is the kingdom. And we know that it's actually uh, the communion or the, the Lord's table or the Eucharist, the thing we're going to celebrate just in a minute here. You know, it's a very interesting thing. It's a piece of the Passover meal. When Jesus took the bread, ordinarily, you know, that stood for an Old Testament thing, and he said, nope. Now, this is about the arrival of greatness. And he took the cup, which was about sacrificing an animal, and he said, nope, now this is about my arrival, the arrival of greatness. And we're going to take this. And so he did invite us to a feast. And when we take that little piece of bread and that cup, we've got to remember that this is what God is saying to us. Let's share. And he's talking about what he brings. And in that sacrifice, we know we are offered eternal life, we are offered provision, direction. We are offered uh, the opportunity to live as, the Bible says, uh, temples of the Holy Spirit. That we can begin to live our lives guided you know, by a whole different navigation system. Not Siri, but the Holy Spirit guiding our lives and whispering to us and helping us understand what God is up to in our world so we can participate in it. And if that's new to you, that's just that adventure or buying that field was just an act of prayer for any of us who just decided, hey, God, that's what I want. 